0: So I would want my mentor to be personable, you know, knowledgeable, obviously. Um, Someone very passionate about um, perfecting your craft or bringing people along, you know, just to give them that understanding that I know this is what textbook says, but this is really what you gain outside of it. I would love to say like a sisterhood type of thing, but it doesn't always have to just be woman to woman, you know, obviously, but for me, That would be a great driving force just to see another sister friend, you know, doing big things, what we like to say, bossing up (laughs) and just kind of, and just kind of being that constant role model.
1: Oh, just listening to that. I just really wish that I worked with Denisha again. She really does just pull you in and make you feel like part of her family at work. You know, it's, it's crazy, but she was actually the first person to know that I was pregnant last year, even before my husband, she was that in tune with me. And when I walked in, she just looked at me and said, (laughs) but I miss that. Um, I'm happy with where I'm at right now. Um, and, you know, professionally and personally, but I have been feeling a little adrift with some of those relationships after moving and starting a new job in the middle of this last year.
2: Yeah, and I think others, myself included, are feeling the same way. I just realized that you and I have actually not ever met in person. Our entire personal and professional relationship has just been built over Zoom.
1: Yeah, it's, it's literally nuts. I mean... <laughs> How tall are you, even? Like, what do you look like? <laughs> Not on a screen.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to channel the Offspring here and say that I'm pretty average for a white guy. I'm about five ten.
1: I I can't believe you just did that.
2: Um. <laughs> but you're right. You miss out on little details like that, right? You don't know how tall someone is or anything like that. Um, and we have a pretty good relationship. And I think the rest of our team works well together. Um, but every interaction is almost always with a particular agenda, right? We have mm-hmm. our meeting scheduled, and there's a certain reason for that meeting. And we just don't have the the type of quick check-ins or, you know, little chats and side jokes that you would during the day when you work side-by-side with folks. Um, and that's what builds that sisterhood that Denisha is talking about or just that, that personal relationship with everyone.
1: Yeah, I. it's so interesting because... You know, I've had to schedule those times. So, with you know, members of our team, even you and I, we schedule like an extra ten minutes to our PD times just so mm-hmm. we can get that check-in piece. And I think that is it really where it comes down to, right? That intentionality to make time for those little connections. Um, and we've talked about that here mm-hmm. in this podcast before, and we'll continue yeah. to talk about it. Uh, but let's tell people about this podcast, who they are, and what we're listening to. <laughs> So, welcome to Burnout Busters, a podcast by healthcare professionals for healthcare professionals, where we talk about all things well being.
2: We discuss what experts, research, and personal experience say about stress in the modern day, including improvements we can make culturally in our workplace and for ourselves using the Adult Resilience Curriculum or ARC. ARC is a framework that cuts through all the noise out there about stress and well being to provide flexible, evidence based strategies and supports. To help you develop your own wellness plan.
1: Burnout Busters is brought to you by the Mid-America Mental Health Technology Transfer Center, or MHTTC, funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. All the statements expressed here are the opinions of our hosts and guests, not our funders. For more information about how to use this information, please see our full disclosure statement on our website.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jordan Thayer. I'm a psychologist, clinician, and trainer with the Mid-America MHTTC at the University of Nebraska Medical Center.
1: And I'm Dr. Hannah West. I, too, am a psychologist and clinician. I also train practitioners in Kansas and Missouri as a Mid-America MHTTC regional trainer.
2: Cool. So, Hannah, (laughs) let's just be honest. The last couple weeks have been complete bears, haven't they? Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, I know from our chats outside of podcast world that you have like an infinity plus one number of things going on. It's just like insane kind of the things that you tell me, especially when we're like prepping for interviews. There's always so much going on. I don't know how you're even doing it.
1: You know, I could say the same thing about you um, (laughs) and all of the things that you have going on. But I mean, really, it's kind of, I feel like it's this time of year, right? Like we're all Mm. prepping, trying to get things finished up. Um, Historically, it was trying to get things finished up for the end of the semester at school. uh, But that's not here anymore. So I'm not really sure why... It still feels It's still way. happening,
2: yeah. I'm pretty sure we were told, like, oh, this you'll never be as busy as you are now in grad school, right? Like, that was always the thing. Everything slows down, and it's like, nope. <laughs> it I don't, just keeps going.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know where that came from.
2: <laughs> yep, when you're in the, quote, real world, yeah, it just kind of keeps happening. Um, and I remember even in our planning, we were thinking, like, February, right, was going to be the rough month. We were just like, oh, yeah, okay, we need to get through February, and then things will slow down. And now it's like, nope, it's the end of May. <laughs>
1: eventually eventually
2: eventually it'll happen
1: (laughs) i wonder if we'll still be saying that in like two years eventually we'll get a break seeing that's no yeah we're we're, we're,
2: we're, we we see this now it's going to happen and so we know ahead of time like we can kind of prepare for that let's not (laughs) let it be another two years of this um so how are you getting time to recharge then with all of this
1: you know the weather here in Kansas City was just so beautiful last weekend. So my little family, my husband, daughter, and I, we packed up and went to the zoo for her very first time. Cute. And it was so much fun. So we ate ice cream. She had those little, you know, the Dippin' Dots. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And so those are perfect for my seven month old. She was loving it. We watched the monkeys who were super interested in her. In fact, two of them like jumped up onto the fence when she was laughing at them. It was really
2: <laughs> funny. Did she, did it, like, scare her?
1: Uh, no, she just smiled and, she just like, smiled. kicked her yeah. little legs. Um, <laughs> we... And then we even got, like, a family caricature drawn to commemorate the day.
2: Hannah, you can't mention a family caricature and, like, expect me not to want to see it. Can you show me?
1: Uh, luckily for you, I have it right here. I haven't yeah, made it upstairs yet, but... <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes!
1: That is so good. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, no one else can see it.
2: (laughs) Oh, that is beautiful.
1: Um, If you're interested in seeing it, shout us out on the socials using our hashtag, MHTC, bye-bye burnout, and I'll let everyone else see it too.
2: Are you serious right now?
1: Yeah, I'll put it up there.
2: All right, everyone listening, please do it. (laughs) I'd love to see this on Twitter.
1: All right, what about you? Um, You know, we talked about it's been a super busy time, but I also know that because it's not gonna be two years until we get that break, you're planning to take some time off next week. Um, But what that means is the week before is just really, really busy. Um, So what have you been doing for your well-being?
2: Yeah, I think it's kind of ironic that we all plan these vacations and then it's like the week before the vacation. It's like almost like we have to make up for that time. So it's like suddenly days become 12 hour days. But so yeah, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. Um, A lot's going on right now. I am looking forward to that vacation and honestly, like, the only thing I can really think of that I've done for myself is I made a pretty bomb meal. I thought it was quite impressive. And my roommate also commented on how great it smelled. Um, I and know, I know, just... You
1: can't say that. What, what did you make?
2: What was it? Uh, yeah, so it was pan-fried salmon um, with, like, a... Me- Mexican spice, seasoned with a Mexican mm. spice blend I made. Um, but then the secret was I had this like browned butter, um, orange fond sauce on top of it that it was just drizzled all over it with some sweet potatoes and some wilted collard greens. Um, it was just, it was so good. It was so good.
0: That
2: sounds um, delicious. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's quite literally all I've <laughs> been able to do is just enjoy that meal.
1: You know, it's not what we normally talk about at the beginning, but I... Just so appreciate how honest you are right now about how sometimes it's hard, right, mm-hmm. uh, to take time for our well-being. And I think it really just goes with what we've talked about on, before in some of our other episodes and that well-being doesn't have to be a big thing that you do every week. Um, just tying it back to, to Dr. Winkle, sometimes it really is just mindfully eating a yummy meal and mm-hmm. saying, I'm all right right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, in the well-being literature and kind of out there in the public, we talk about these dimensions of well-being. There's eight different dimensions. um, And the idea is that you're not going to be maxed out in those all the time, and that's totally okay. Um, At the moment, though, I kind of feel like I'm hitting bottom on a lot of them. And Mm. again, that's okay, too. You know, we go through fluctuations. But I think for me, it's also a good sign reflecting on that, um, that because I feel that way, Um, maybe outside of like the physical dimension, Um, that's Mm -hmm. a good sign that maybe I need to pull back after this vacation.
1: Yeah. And I think that part of well-being is recognizing that, right? Mm -hmm. And and having that knowledge about yourself. Yeah. Speaking of knowledge about yourself, I (laughs) am just struck. Um, I don't know how I haven't noticed it before, but (laughs) I feel like your responses to this question every week are just so varied. Like you've gone camping, you've cooked meals, you've done all of these things mm-hmm. um a running club like i don't know it makes me feel like you're a lot cooler than i am but oh no all of mine have had something to do with my family and yeah. i think that just really shows kind of thinking those dimensions of wellness and thinking about phases of our life right um and at different time points uh we find that our values are those activities that are life giving for us they can look really different
2: yeah, things can look really different. And, you know, going back to kind of my, my meal thing real quick, where that's kind of my, my saving grace right now, I think another thing that plays into the fact is that I, I live mostly alone. I do have a roommate. Our schedules are not always aligned. Um, and there's some benefits to that. But there's also some major stressors, you know, in that I had to make that meal all myself and find some time to prep the ingredients. And then um, I've had it a couple of times now, and all the ingredients were prepped beforehand, but I still needed time to do all that. And sometimes it's nice to have friends or, you know, family members and things like that um, to help you support and support you in those, in those moments with even little things like that. Um, and so I think right now, kind of listening to you and kind of hearing about the stories you do, I just feel like friendships and personal and professional connections are really, really important. Um, and working from home, like I do half of my week, you don't always have those connections, and you can go days without having that support where you are kind of on your own.
1: Yeah, and on the flip side of that, I feel like I am never on my own. (laughs) Uh
2: Um,
1: And even though there are times that I may want to be or kind of need some of that, that space. And so it's just interesting to think that while you have to really work to seek out some of those connections, Um, the struggle i think in this phase that i'm in of being a partner and a parent is that you have to work really hard to find that time to be alone right Right. um and then also i think that with those built-in connections like that that you really can't get away from it's also hard to remind yourself that you need to take time and put effort into facilitating some friendships and those work relationships and what all of that looks like i know Like I have friends, but those relationships look really different than they did before I became a mom.
2: Yeah. And I wonder then, is it easier or not easier, but just because you have your personal family life and then you do have your work days that are you finding that developing professional that are also kind of like friendly relationships helps in those moments?
1: Yeah, you know real personal right now. I, I don't have a lot of friends in, in my current space. And so I have found that the relationships that we have, uh, the relationships on our team, those are sometimes like the friendships that I've, I've been able to cultivate more um, just because of that shared space. And I think that these professional relationships are, are really important because I think they fill that role for a lot of people.
2: They do. And I, and it's not that you're replacing roles you know in your personal life but that it's Mm -hmm. it's it's in addition to and you can you can definitely have them both so and i think our guest speaker for this episode does that really well um you know her so i want to pass it off to you you want to give us that bio and tell us who it was
1: yeah um denisha mcgee hill she ends each day as a proud mother of four and a loving wife she goes to bed reflecting on her roles as a mother spouse and friend but when she wakes up in the morning, she's the tough frontline registered nurse prepared to take on another day. Denisha cares about and for her patients, and she works hard to meet their needs with kindness and competence. She currently works as a registered nurse on a medical surgical floor at Nebraska Medicine in Omaha. Since early 2020, she's treated countless COVID-19 patients by day and mostly nights as a night shift nurse. Um, But prior to her work as a frontline nurse amid a pandemic, Denisha spent four years as a clinical licensed practical nurse, or LPN, splitting her time between two Nebraska Medicine clinical sites. Her main base site at this time was the Girls Inc. Health Center. And during her time there, she was the pioneer and point person for the Allied Health Professionals, or AHP, program, Uh, And that program provided free STI testing to individuals aged 14 to 24 and Denisha she performed these tests and educated clients on making safe and conscious decisions pertaining to consensual sexual activities, along with all of her other responsibilities. Denisha is a fierce advocate for her patients, other nurses, and herself, making her the perfect person to sit down with us and discuss techniques for managing individual well-being under strenuous circumstances. In particular, we're going to hear how she leaned on those personal connections and her community through these times in the pandemic. And just on a personal note, I met Denisha when I started working as a behavioral health provider at the Girls Inc. Clinic. And I can honestly say that she was our go-to person. Whenever anyone had questions about the clinic or protocols, patients, literally anything, Denisha always had the answers. Um, She performed her job skillfully and had great rapport with the physicians and patients. And I am just so thrilled that we had the opportunity to talk to her.
2: Yeah, when we were trying to figure out who we would like to interview for this episode, there wasn't like any amount of hesitance with You suggesting that we contact her and after meeting her for the first time a little bit before we started the interview, I immediately saw why. And she just has a definite energy and vibe about Mm -hmm. her that I imagine she brings into the workspace every day. And I'm with her patients and I'm sure her patients can feel it as well. And also her teammates pick up on that. And you were just talking about that, like Mm -hmm. she was the go to person. Um, And that was definitely just noticeable from just like the the brief little interactions and i'm glad that we had that
1: yeah
2: Um, so we're going to transfer into the interview here in in a moment i want to provide a disclaimer for everyone who is listening we were having some audio issues at the time and we went through kind of a lot of different troubleshooting processes and we weren't quite able to get it so every now and then you will hear some feedback uh, and we just apologize for that but we hope that you still pick up on and get something useful out of this interview with denisha
1: So, Denisha, I am so excited that you're here with us today. Uh, it's been a while since you and I have been able to touch
0: base, and it's just so good to see your face again. Yes, thank you for having me, guys. I'm super excited about today. You guys don't even understand. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I can say it's, it's just a pleasure to meet you in person and see your face. Um, that's one thing I like about these is we actually get to, like, even though we're all remote, we actually get to link up and chat and meet and
1: all that
0: yes. stuff. So, yes, a
2: pleasure to meet you.
0: Absolutely. Nice to meet you as well. So sorry, listeners, you
1: don't get to see her smiling face, but...
2: (coughs) No, it's a great smile. It's a wonderful
1: smile. So, Denisha, you're you're a registered
0: nurse. Mm -hmm.
1: So what has this year been like for you in your day-to-day?
0: It's been pretty eye-opening. You know, like, I'm a new nurse. Well, kind of. But I graduated from my nursing program in February of 2020. And, you know, that was just kind of right at the cusp when everything was happening. Um, So, from there, got thrown into a med search floor. Initially, it was a med search floor. By the time I started, it was COVID floor. So, you know, everything was quick, happening quick, and boom, we're here. Um, To top it off, you know, I came in as a night nurse, and I've never been a night nurse before. I've always worked regular day hours. So, you know, I just had to get accustomed to a brand new day to day, you know, Um, just kind of like put your big girl's panties on, roll up your sleeves and get to work. Right. So it's been an adjustment for my whole family, but I think we've kind of done a pretty good job to say the least. So COVID nurse, here I am.
2: All right. When you were, you said you graduated in February. So I was kind of curious, when you were going through your classes and you know the whole covid pandemic was kind of was hitting the news and we could see some of this stuff coming up was there any discussion in preparing for
0: that there actually wasn't surprisingly like we did not talk about anything covid related it really wasn't until like after our last week of class that when they decided we wouldn't be able to walk because of covid was the first conversation we've had about it and it was just pretty much that because of COVID, there would be no graduation and you know, which sucked because we worked really hard, but also we understood.
2: I imagine starting off in your first, you know, this is not really, you said it's not really your first time you've done some other work, but this is at least like your first, as, a, as an RN, is that correct, right? This was like your first year.
0: Yes, as an RN I nurse, prior to that, I was a clinical LPN, so it was totally different.
2: Totally different, right. And so coming into this and this whole crazy experience and things like that, I imagine then that having your family and your friends and everything like that was really important. And we know that social relationships and social supports are very important for a lot of people. It tends to give us a lot of meaning and a lot of purpose and they pull us through. And yet I know, at least for me as a psychologist, a practicing psychologist, that tends to be the thing I see most people drop first, right? We isolate and we withdraw. And so... I was just kind of curious from your experience like did you notice that with yourself or friends and why do you think those social connections are the first things we tend to kind of like drop for ourselves
0: Um I really think it's just like a coping mechanism Uh I think speaking for myself personally I can get overwhelmed easily So mm-hmm. um like with COVID and everything kind of happening all at once sometimes you have to take a step back you have to refocus yourself um And sometimes it looks like you're dropping your relationship, but really you're just trying to get your headspace together so those relationships can continue to be healthy. Um, But I definitely do that. I take a step back. I may not call you, text, or talk to you for days at a time. And it's nothing personal. It's just me really trying to get my thoughts together because if I'm scatterbrained, that's not good for anybody, you know, so... um, I really think that's that all it is and I think sometimes people don't understand that that's what um I don't know if the right word is self-healing or um you know self-care they don't really realize that's what self-care looks like. So it looks to you like the friendship is on the rocks but really it's just girl I need a minute. <laughs> I have to figure life out. Um uh-huh. but Eventually, you know, you get back to that. You get back to, well, with real connections, they understand that it was necessary. So you kind of pick up right where you left off.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like yeah, there's kind of like um, a minimum or a benchmark. And if we drop below that, we kind of need a time for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then once we hit that, then we can reconnect with some folks maybe easier and get back to where we Mm -hmm. were. But yeah, it does feel like it's kind of necessary sometimes to, I think you said reset yourself. Yeah, I really actually like that. Um, Where, like, withdrawal is not necessarily always a bad thing in the moment.
0: Sometimes it's very necessary. At least for me. I'm telling you. I need it. Like, I can literally just sit in a room with no TV on and just embrace the (laughs) quiet.
2: Would you say, though, that there are certain relationships for you that are important? Like, you kind of need them and rely upon those?
0: Oh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, relationship with my husband. He's like my best friend. He gets it all. He gets the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> so I definitely need him to be my solid force. Um, You know, just the relationship with your children. I have kids who are, you know, teenagers, pre-teenage. So the communication is definitely different. Um, mm-hmm. They understand. They can tell when mom's worn out. You know, I hear them whispering, like, when I have to sleep throughout the day to go to work, like, shh, mom, sleep. You know, like, <laughs> everybody's very aware. You know, your parents, just those people, whoever it is for you that's super close to you. Um, it's very important that they understand what you're going through. Or, you know, it, they're just that much more likely to just kind of help you through it. So you definitely need those relationships. Um I think I have an overabundance of those relationships, but that's okay. That just means I'm not wearing any particular person out.
2: Right. You can bounce around and kind of get what you need from whoever.
1: So my question is, you know, with those, those close relationships that you were just telling us about, um, is it fair to say that, you know, yeah, you have that threshold and sometimes you need some space, um, but that those are the people that if maybe you stay in that space too long, or if you're kind of, Um, having difficulties there that they're the ones that can reach out to you and those are the connections that help get you back up to that threshold right
0: absolutely um outside of my husband like I have one particular friend she's also an RN and Mm -hmm. it's like she senses it she's like you okay you've been quiet for too long let's talk let's let's figure it out and I mean she understands the you know terminology the jargon she understands the day to day cuz she's actively in it. She's actually a float nurse, so she sees everything. Um, but she is definitely a requirement in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cuz she helps bring me back.
1: And what you're hitting on is like the importance of like peer support, right? Mhm. Yes. And so just how how those relationships really um in the workforce are so important just to keep keep you going, right?
0: Absolutely. I think that if it wasn't for peer support, uh, my team support, I don't think I would have made it through COVID. Mm-hmm. It You know, like I said, coming in as a new nurse, it was a shock. It was very overwhelming. And, like, honestly, I questioned every day, was this a good decision? <laughs> like, who told me to go through nursing school? <laughs> but... um uh, They definitely, like I said, they bring you back. They reassure you. They reground you. You know, the importance of it all, they bring that back to surface. So, and and they remind you, take it minute by minute. Because nobody, even if they look like, you know, they're handling it gracefully, some people are just good at masking it. We are all struggling minute by minute. And we need to go day by day because this is new for everybody patients and staff yeah so shout out to
1: the team so you've been talking a lot about the peer support and how important it is to kind of have somebody to go through the day-to-day that knows what you're going through Um, in addition to peer support another person um, or role that has that influence is that of a mentor right and so a mentor by definition is someone that we look up to for that aspirational influence but also because they have knowledge about the direct instruction and they're able to support us in the day to day of what we do. Uh, so what's been your experience with mentorship? Have you had a mentor? Kind of kind of what does that look like in your life?
0: Um I would say no, I haven't had a mentor personally. Um come across some pretty amazing women, but no one specifically as a mentor. I think they're pretty amazing, though. I wish I would have had one, Um, especially being around some of the women I've been around. I felt like they were really influential, very successful. Um, Some look like me, some don't look like me, but all in all, I always took great things from them, Um, and it could have just been, you know, the hustle and bustle of the day-to-day maybe they really didn't have the time to mentor but um i feel like even though we weren't labeled mentor and mentee i feel like i definitely took from them what i needed to um because i think being able to converse and pick the brain of a person you know who's kind of been down a similar road that you're traveling professionally is really the secret to bridging those anxieties that maybe a young professional has coming into a new field um you know kind of closing that gap of uncertainty but I think that ultimately, if able to have a mentor, I think it's very necessary.
2: Yeah, so if you could have a mentor, um. I mean, you're talking earlier about, you know, you've known some incredible women, um, those who maybe have shared backgrounds uh, as you and those who don't, right? And those who look like you and don't. So I'm just kind of mm-hmm. curious then, if you could have a mentor, like if we could just give you one right now, what qualities or what would you want that mentorship to look like?
0: I would want it to look and feel very casual. You know, I don't really want it to be so professional all the time because sometimes the way we learn isn't on a professional scale. Sometimes it's very on a personal scale. So I would want my mentor to be personable, you know, knowledgeable, obviously. Um, Someone very passionate about um, perfecting your craft or bringing people along, you know, just to give them that understanding that I know this is what textbook says, but this is really what you gain outside of it. I would love to say like a sisterhood type of thing, but it doesn't always have to just be woman to woman, you know, obviously. But for me, that would be a great driving force just to see another sister friend, you know, doing big things, what we like to say, bossing up (laughs) and just kind of, and just kind of being that constant role model. That would be ideal for me.
1: So I know you're still early in your career, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but have you thought about, you know, being a mentor or kind of being in that role for somebody else?
0: You know, actually, no, I've never thought about it. I mean, I haven't thought about it as as um as of late becoming an RN, but I think I would be a pretty good mentor. <laughs> I think someone would love me. Oh yeah, you'd be so much fun. <laughs> and we would definitely be <laughs> we would have those great conversations. Um, So I'm open to that, you know, especially as I grow, hone in on that craft of mine. I think I will be a blessing to someone as they will be a blessing to me because, you know, sometimes when you don't get like a specific relationship in life, you tend to go on and give that to someone, you know, who Mm -hmm. you see, what do they say? You see yourself in them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, let me give you what I didn't have because that just might help you propel a little faster. Yeah. Right. You know,
2: definitely. Yeah. Anyone who would be under you, I think, would be able to quickly learn and connect. Right. <laughs> and then give that probably is going to give them a sense of security, which, yeah. you know, that's one of the main components of a mentorship is a, a connection and security. And then like kind of freedom to make some
0: mistakes a little bit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> make those mistakes, build that confidence uh-huh. and remember you're just human. <laughs> exactly.
1: One thing I, I did want to ask about is that, you know, earlier you had said that, you know, you would met some really great mm-hmm. women um, and some really great people um, that have encouraged you and some have looked like you and some have mm-hmm. not. Um, in that realm, as far as thinking about race and representation and what that looks like in healthcare, mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts with that?
0: I think it's necessary. I think sometimes in certain professions, we get caught up on the stigma of what it's supposed to look like or how it's portrayed to society. Mm-hmm. So to come across the professional, whether they're the same level you, higher than you, whatever it is, to come across that colleague that looks like you, talks like you, understands you, has the same background as you, it's very important. You know, especially for like kids growing up like my daughters, it's very important for them to see that we can do and be anything and anyone. Um, and sometimes... I feel like when I was a kid, though, my parents did such a good job at exposing us to so many different things. I didn't really get caught up in, um, you know, the whole, this is what I see on TV, so that's all it can be. Or this is the picture I see in the book, and that's all it can be. But I feel like a lot of times, especially with this generation, everything is about what they see. Social media, social media you know, internet, anything, cell phone, tablets, the internet. I think it's very important for them to see someone who looks like them and represents where they come from just to give them that sense that like, you know, hey, we all have equal opportunity. Is the struggle a little different? Possibly. But it doesn't mean you can't go out and get it, you know. So it's very important. I love to see, I love to see everyone winning, but, you know, I do love to see my sister girls and and men in positions mm-hmm. of, I don't know if saying position of power is a good um, description, but in a position yes. that is admirable, you know?
1: Yeah. And do you feel like, you know, with your patients and things like that, that it, they also see that representation and it, it
0: matters in the same way? Absolutely. And they, a lot of people are pretty good at voicing that. I've come Mm -hmm. across some patients who, like, not they they think their nurses are amazing, regardless of their race. But sometimes, when you're walking in a room and you look like them, especially older generation, like older women, um, they love Mm -hmm. to see it. And they'll tell you, No, I I love to see more of us. I love to see us um, being influential, not always being depicted in a negative light, because We know that's not reality. Um, Mm -hmm. But they love to see it. You know, I've even seen it in other cultures, like Hispanic cultures. They'll love me. You know, I do my best and they can sense that. But they also love someone that they can come and talk their native language with. And it's not that um, language barrier, translation barrier. It's very fluent and easy for them. So I think it's very necessary keep, you know, keep pumping us in and out of these professional roles.
2: (laughs) And I I think there's a lot of, you know, right, there's a lot of momentum right now to do that and to make some more space for other, you know, for people to have that representation, that connection. This whole episode that we're talking about is kind of broadly about relationships and community. And what you just said is just like, patients need to... For, for some, there is an incredible importance put on that community to be able to see someone Absolutely. Um, that they feel like they can connect with immediately. And, like, mm-hmm. let's not discount how incredibly important that is for people. Um, Absolutely. You know, and, and uh, I'll put it out there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a position of privilege in that area of life because I've never had to really worry about that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting then when I go in now, not to make this about me real quick, but just, just noticing that when I go in and I do interact with people who come from very different cultural and uh, ethnic backgrounds and racial backgrounds, I'm now very cognizant of what can I actually provide to try mm-hmm. and create that community and what's just beyond that and how can I kind of create mm-hmm. that bridge. So I, just, I appreciate that. I appreciate that that's such a, a thing.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, and... it's definitely a big deal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I love to see it too, though. It really reassures you as a nurse. Um, I mean, and this doesn't matter who it comes from, but to know that you're making the elder community within your community proud, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a Mm -hmm. whole different level of appreciation that you get. Yeah.
1: That kind of um, talking about the relationship with the patients, that made me think uh, back to this has been a COVID world. And um, you've been on the COVID ward and, you know, the people that you've been working with, they haven't been able to have visitors, they haven't been able to have that community. And so how has that changed your role or what's that experience been like?
0: I wouldn't say it's changed my role personally. I feel like I always go in speaking to my patients and meeting my patients with some kind of compassion because I do understand that, especially when you're going through something so serious and not being able to have that family support physically there to see, touch, smell, it's hard. So it's really hard on the patients, you know, It, especially the ones who may be struggling a little more or who just are uncertain really with the terminology, like they know they have COVID, but outside of having COVID, what does that mean? How does that mm-hmm. look? You know, uh, everybody has different level of anxieties, different educational backgrounds. So for some, it's just like, you know, when they slightly decline or it's harder for them to breathe or it's harder for them to get up and take care of themselves, to them, they think it's over. And to, mm-hmm. and to not be able to physically have your mom, your sister, your aunt, whoever your point person is, they're reassuring you, holding your hand, it becomes very hard for them. And sometimes Skype and Zoom just doesn't do as a nurse, for me, I always just kind of go in with that family-oriented mindset. I'm your family while you're here. hmm You know, I'm going to take care of you as if you were my mom, my brother, my aunts and uncles, my sisters, whoever. I'm not going to have you here unable to be with your actual family feeling alone. So for these 12 hours, I got you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and most of the time, it makes a, good, a big impact. Now, you do come across some people who just, it's just really hard for them. So they can't see past that, and it takes a little time. But ultimately, they get there, and they remember this nurse came in, and she was this way from the start, even when I was my worst. So I try to keep it simple and consistent, regardless of the level of illness that they're at. That they're at.
1: You know, I, I know you, and I um, you saw you work with patients before COVID, and I know that you have always gone in um, with this compassion and, um, you know, really trying to make sure that people understand exactly what's going on. Yes. Um, but it, it feels like, and what you're saying is that, especially with COVID and, and not having that family support, that it's taking maybe, maybe it's something you've always done, but it's taking... A little bit more yes of you to do that now because you are the family yes. like you said
0: gotta rev it up <laughs>
1: how do you how do you take care of yourself how do you manage being all the family for for all your patients in that 12-hour shift
0: uh, honestly I think it was something that was instilled in me from from childhood I was always very loving attentive compassionate Um, so transitioning into the role, you know, putting that into my career, it really wasn't something I even had to think about. It was just kind of very natural. To me, it's easy. I know to some people it's not, Mm -hmm. um, but you just kind of like when you're going in all personal things aside, you have to realize that some of these people are really struggling. Some of them, like I said earlier, they just don't understand They're not always the most polite, but killing them with kindness, I'm telling you, it works. (laughs) Like at some point they cannot resist it. It may not be that first shift, but when you come back for the second shift or the third shift, or some who are there for extended stays and you come back for the next week shifts, they remember you. And they're not so mean at those times. So um, like I said, for me, it was a real natural transition. Um, I mean, I'm very tired at the end of the shift, <laughs> but that's to yeah. be expected, you know.
2: Yeah, and I hear you saying that it's kind of like natural and just kind of instinctual for you, and I, I, I also heard some things, though, that I kind of want to unpack a little bit because I think you do some really, just from what you just said, some really important things, and one of the first things, I just want to make sure I heard you right, is that like when you come in for your shift, I think you said something like leave everything else behind, like that's, that's kind of like your focus. So even if you have a bunch of other stuff going on, I mean, are you saying like whether it's intentional or not, you just notice that you kind of are just almost like put the game face on and while you're there, that's your focus? Is that patient care?
0: Absolutely. uh, Coming into, I think coming into any shift, but especially coming into a shift when you are dealing with COVID patients, whatever you got going on outside of this shift is not going to help you in this shift. And this shift is going to be so packed full, so busy. There's so many things you have to be mindful of. There's so many things you have to pay attention to. You really don't have time to worry about anything outside of the patients, this shift, their situation, and what we're focusing on. Mm -hmm. When you come in like that and you're ready to work, I think that sets you up for, I mean, the shift may be stressful, but it won't be that stressful. You know, yeah. the unnecessary things that we try to carry with us, we don't need that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Come in, be attentive to those patients, understand what's really going on. And then when you leave, if you want to pick back up, sure. But coming in and getting, having that headspace, like I'm here for this and this only, that's what gets you through.
2: I'm smiling right now because the episode right before this is all about mindfulness at work and being there in the moment. Um I feel like we could have had you chatting with our guest speaker for that one, and you two could have clicked pretty well <laughs> on that. Um, but it is it is super helpful. It sounds like at least for you. Um, and there's another thing in there. I just kind of want to ask then, like, why? Why do you do this work then?
0: You know, I've always known I was gonna be a healthcare worker. My sights were a little higher when I was a kid. I wanted to be a pediatrician, but then I had my son. At a fairly early age. And then, you know, you just kind of shift your mindset a little bit. Still in the healthcare field, you know, I'll be a nurse. I won't be the pediatrician that way. I can be the parent who I thought I needed to be for my kid, Mm -hmm. you know. So now, actually getting here, it's just kind of like fulfilling that purpose, this lifelong dream you've had. You really wanna make an impact. Um, When I came into the healthcare field as an LPN, it really opened up things and gave me insight about things I didn't even think about when I was starting this journey off, the way people took to me, the way the patients really received me unconsciously, how I was their mentors. You know, it really just let me see that I'm in the right space. Mm-hmm. I am walking in my purpose. I don't know exactly how far this purpose goes. Um, If I'll, you know, what, what I'll turn over into from this start. But this is definitely my purpose and it's where I need to be.
1: What I heard there and, and what I know about you is that, you know, you're so passionate about your career and you were also, you know, yes. there as a mother and as a family member. And like that is a high priority for you. Absolutely. I'm um, so my question is, is, has there been any fear, you know, being a COVID nurse, did you have any fear, any, um, like, what was that experience like of, you know, being there with your family and then also being there for your patients?
0: Um. So, yeah, just um, working on a COVID floor, I was super kind of nervous in the beginning, you know, bringing home the COVID bugs, literally, to my family. Um, so I just kind of tried to be more conscious of, you know the shoes I wear on the floor, I'm gonna keep them at the hospital when I get home as soon as I walk in. I'm going to uh take off my you know uniform, take it to the laundry, but more so, I was kind of more concerned just with our elderly um and our because some did have like pre-existing conditions and just with the uncertainty of everything with what the media was saying, even though it was totally different from what I was seeing, you know it just had me confused to say the least, um, and overly anxious and and cautious and just aware of what's really going on. Um also while not being aware of what's really going on. So you just try to, you know, go above and beyond and do the things that you can do for yourself and your family to keep everybody as safe as possible. Um like so my husband's aunt, which is my mother in law's twin sister. She actually passed away in April because of COVID. Um, So then that put a whole nother perspective on the things Um, because it was like, you know, I hadn't actually started working in a position at that time, but my mind was always on that.
1: So I'm hearing you talk about like some personal experiences with Mm -hmm. COVID and loss and some, you know, fears related to, you know, not knowing what's going to happen. And then just the stresses of being in the day to day grind, right? Being on the front line, doing those twelve hours. How do you feel like that's like impacted you and um, your team, your the other nurses that you work with, the work staff, staff support, all of those people? How has that been impacting?
0: I think every day is different. Some days we're handling it. Some days we're defeated. Um. The beauty of it is we're going through it together. So just because this may be my day of defeat, my coworker may be making it through that day. So she's picking me up with her. Like, come on, girl, we're going to get through this. It's just a moment. Um, I think it brings people together. Even if, even if like we don't talk to each other outside of work, at work, we are a unit at work. We're a family. You know, so it just it just helps each other out in, in, in the moments. I think just it's put everything into perspective for us on the floor. Um, at this point, we're all very aware that we're going to have these moments and we're going to have these different emotions. And sometimes I have to be your picker-upper and you have to do that for me on another day. So it's brought us close together. Like there's a bond there. Like I said, even if we don't see each other outside of work, there's a bond bond there. And it just makes for a better workspace. We trust each other more, we rely on each other more. As high of an anxiety packed shift as it can be, you always know that you're not alone. Even if these are my five patients tonight, I know my team is gonna come and rescue me if I feel like I'm drowning. So, um, COVID has made some great relationships in the yep. midst of the chaos.
2: <laughs> you know, nice. Denisha, we we've only we only met for the first time briefly before we actually started doing this interview, right? And already I can mm-hmm. tell like relationship communities that's something that's really important for you, especially within your profession. Like, I just first of all, I just yeah, want to say yeah. I totally like respect that. And man, I wish you I had you on my <laughs> team cuz like that's um, <laughs> I that's that's so important. And I I kind of want to ask tell me about what your thoughts are on this idea we were talking about briefly about how professional community, especially for nurses, is being kind of elevated and put on a pedestal right now um, of, with people kind of viewing healthcare as these superheroes walking among us day to day. And you're a your team, right? Like we could say you're, you're the Avengers of healthcare in a lot of ways, uh, but tell me like, what are your thoughts about that um, imagery and that, 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 that kind of like that, I don't know, perception of healthcare?
0: I think it's cute. i think that um i mean it's definitely appreciated Mm -hmm. but i don't think any of us feel like superheroes we definitely do not feel like the avengers (laughs) um it makes for a cute t-shirt though
2: oh yeah yeah you should market
0: this (laughs) (laughs) actually disney would come after us it's not we're literally just trying to get through the shifts Um, And I know sometimes when you say that some people, I don't know, it it makes them feel a certain kind of way, but we really are all in. We're just trying to get through the shift. We're trying to keep you as comfortable as possible. We're trying to, you know, bring that sense of family and community within the hospital to you. And we're trying to do it with some grace. So ultimately, you know, like I said, we don't really feel like superhumans. Or superheroes, but um, we appreciate that term of endearment. You know,
1: the, the op-ed that I had read about that, it was saying that sometimes that imagery, thinking of um, our healthcare workers as superheroes, it can be detrimental because it kind of puts our healthcare staff in this role where they feel like they can't ask for help, or they feel like they have to do everything on their own. Um, So I guess to finish up with this this last question really is is what do you do for your own well-being how do you take care of yourself
0: Uh, well for starters when I leave work and leave the shift I do just that I leave it there I'm not bringing it home with me um that's it you know outside of that sleep is a must (laughs) Definitely get caught up on my sleep. If you ask my husband, he'll probably tell you I sleep too much. (laughs) Um, But, you know, just kind of like implementing those self-care things that you do regardless. You know, I get massages, get my nails done, um, take time and go on a mini vacation, Mm -hmm. spend some time with family, you know, have a barbecue or a sunday dinner unplanned but just you know let's get together you just do whatever it is you need to do that helps you get through a that period of whatever it is whether you're feeling like defeated whether you're feeling exhausted whether you're feeling overwhelmed um so you can come back a fresh new you at the new Mm shifts, and you're not holding on to any of that old stuff you know like it just doesn't it just doesn't help. Yeah. So, whatever you need to do. Some days, like I said, it's a pedicure. Some days it's just sitting in my room with the TV off and the lights off and just enjoying the the quiet.
2: You know, you were telling me you're you're doing like 312s right now and I I just mm-hmm. If that's what you're doing, I don't think there's any such thing as like sleeping too much because those are training. Um, so yeah, yes. sleep, sleep away, uh, do whatever you have to. I, I notice a lot of the things you said also have to do with like relationships and kind of partnering with your partner and you know help getting the support you needed in order to like get the rest and go kind of do these um, relaxation things that you're doing. So like, all of that is helpful.
0: Yes, I need all of that. I wouldn't be if without the sleep. I'm telling you, I am no good to no one. <laughs> I need my sleep. <laughs> yes.
2: Well, you know, it's it's been great to chat with you um, and especially to kind of focus on just the importance of communities and relationships and all that stuff. And there's so many different types of relationships we chatted about. So I just want to say thank you so much for your uh, perspective and coming po- your perspective from being on the front lines in their day to day, doing this work that is incredibly challenging. In, a, in an industry and in a context right now that uh, we were unprepared for. And it sounds like you're doing it with some grace.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I was able to bring you guys in and give you a little insight from the actual front line. Yeah.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. I am just so glad that we got to talk with Denisha. Just listening to it again, her outlook on her job, her family, just life in general is so positive and contagious. I've got this really kind of silly, just big <laughs> grin on my face right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I had a big grin on my face when she mentioned being mindful at work. Um to anyone listening, I imagine they probably suspect that we coached her to say a bunch of certain things during that interview, and we absolutely did not. She was just a natural throughout the whole thing.
1: It was all I could do to not laugh at your grin because it was just it was a little over the top and it was so comical. <laughs> um, but between her talking about mindfulness and how she focuses all of her attention on her current task.
2: Which is all stuff from episode four.
1: And how she truly values her career and family and how those values drive her day-to-day interactions.
2: Yep, episode three.
1: (laughs) And how she, you know, makes sure that she gets enough sleep and even talking about the way that she feels her organization could do a better job in supporting her and her healthcare professionals.
2: Yeah, those were all Dr. Cook's soapboxes in episode two.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when we pull all of that together, it really does seem like we told her what to say, doesn't it? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Um, But I loved how Denisha talked about that while she's at work, those people, her coworkers, her patients, they are her family at that time. But then when she goes home to her actual family, she is really there, you know, there with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that just says so much about how you can really live out your values in the workplace and facilitate strong professional relationships while still maintaining those boundaries with your personal life.
2: Oh, definitely. And Denisha had some good insights about how to do that. And I think it all kind of starts with peer support. She mentioned how mm-hmm. when she's in a rough, having a rough time, she's able to go to her peers at work and they're able to help her power through whatever she's currently dealing with. And then vice versa happens and she's able to help support them. And there's, again, some intentionality, I think, behind Danisha um, and, and just kind of her approach to life, it seems, of trying to be there Mm -hmm. and support others, but also being open and getting that support back. And that's how you build that community. And you pay forward those little acts of kindness and support by being attuned to others and, again, allowing for that connection to form a little bit.
1: One thing that I was a little disappointed to hear in the interview, Mm -hmm. and that's that um, Denisha feels like she hasn't experienced having a solid mentor. You know, she mentioned having people that, around her that she looked up to and that she got to speak with and and know. But the actual, even formal mentorship piece has been missing. And that just really makes me think about mentorship as we know it. The literature says and supports that it is just such an important aspect of that professional relationship. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's really often overlooked and really thinking about like those transition periods. So Denisha, you know, she became an RN in 2020, right? Right, yep. And, and you and I too, you know, we have had supervisors, professors in school mm-hmm. who kind of provide that mentorship role in a very structured way. Um, but all of that can just disappear when you start that first real job, right? Mm-hmm. And especially if that organization that you're working with doesn't support or have a plan for how to develop that type of relationship.
2: Yeah, and and I know some organizations, and I'm sure many, are doing some element of mentorship program. I've seen it done really well, and I've also seen it done not really well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the key, which Denisha talked about, is that one, it needs to be meaningful. It it needs to not just feel Mm -hmm. like another task that's thrown onto people, um, but that there's an actual worth and value that comes out of it. I think beyond just connecting with somebody, that's definitely a major boost to it and I, there needs to be other things, some skill development and kind of guidance that happens with it. Um, and there, the other kind of main thing I think is finding this balance between flexibility and allowing for that relationship to develop naturally, mm. um, but also following structure. So, and that, that goes to the idea of having some kind of meaning or purpose. There, there is a structure, there is a process to good mentorship and it needs to be implemented well for it to really be beneficial
1: just going to put you on the spot for a second. Uh Uh, What does that structure look like? Or what can it look like?
2: Yeah. So even if it's set up kind of formally at first, where you're just matched with someone at the organization, there usually is this initial, very, I would say, kind of vulnerable part where you're establishing goals and trying to figure out what aspects of professional and potentially personal life you're wanting to work on. And then there are all of these techniques for setting goals and you you know, we hear about smart or smarty goals or whoop goals and things like that. So like you can incorporate those. The idea though then is that there is regular times that you're checking in and that mm-hmm. those moments that you're checking in have a purpose. Like you're working towards a very particular thing. Uh, you're gonna practice maybe some sort of interaction with patients or talking with your boss and employees or how do you connect with certain families. And there is this gr- gradual loosening of the structure as the individual who's kind of the mentee mm-hmm. starts to take more ownership over that relationship, and the relationship, like the power dynamic and the knowledge dynamic, balances out. Um, and so, at the beginning, when it just if it's just like this checkbox that you do every Tuesday at two, um, it doesn't necessarily allow for that unless there isn't kind of committed uh, action and value out of it from both mentor and mentee.
1: I can see that at the crux of that relationship, while it does have that structure, while it does have those goals, but really one of the most important pieces in, in making it successful is seeing that both the mentee and the mentor are real people, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: People who have successes and failures, like you can't just put the mentor up on this pedestal mm-hmm. um and expect them to never, you know, fail or or do something that they wish they would have done differently but being able to have those successes and failures and have both members learn and grow from them.
2: Right. And that's the real human element of that whole process that comes out. It's hard to measure or to see, but it underpins a lot of what makes some organizations' cultures healthy. Um, that alone, I think, is something that makes setting up mentorship programs and supports and then just broadly helping to build community and organization mm-hmm. very
1: important. Yeah. You know, switching gears, another thing Mm -hmm. that Denisha talked about in our interview was how COVID has really impacted her and the other professionals that work with patients. Um, And so they are seeing the patients who are in pain. They're isolated. Uh, She mentioned that people are confused and frustrated about why they're alone, especially as their health declines.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And then, you know, she mentioned that she hasn't experienced any of her own patients having you know, death, but she has seen it and experienced and been there to support her colleagues who have.
2: Right. And if I can add on to that, another thing I remember Mm -hmm. she talked about was just her fears associated with not knowing about and at the same time being concerned for the safety of her own family, being someone who works in the field and having to come home.
1: She noted that this year has been difficult all around, right? just for for those reasons and that just that day in and day out uncertainty and and knowing that this is who she works with and having that positive outlook and kind of forcing that all the time Um, but the amount of grief and secondary trauma that she and her peers have experienced has increased and really moved to the forefront of many of those interactions the real lived experience of you know someone on the front lines really looking and facing covid and knowing that that's the reality for a lot of our listeners right now, mm-hmm. Jordan and I wanted to make sure that you know we have a conversation that we would do an episode focusing on the effects of grief and trauma.
2: Right, so that conversation, that topic really came out, I think, in our interview with Denisha, and it's something we were talking about even prior and that just cemented it so we really wanted to provide something on secondary trauma it's not an explicit content area in the arc framework but some of the stuff in arc can be helpful in that situation still it's an important conversation to be having and we want to be able to provide at least some knowledge and skills and strategies and things like that around this topic so look for that episode that'll be our next episode Until then, as always, tag us on the socials using the hashtag MHTTC Bye Bye Burnout with your thoughts about the episode, how you practice your own well-being, along with any tips you want to share. Each time you use the hashtag, your name will be entered to win a physical copy of the MHTTC ARC workbook. And right now in the month of May for Mental Health Awareness Month, we are doing our 30 day burnout busting challenge. So look for our daily challenges on our Facebook page and Twitter feed, or you can look it up using the same hashtag MHTTC bye bye burnout. Share with us your daily experience for more opportunities to win and we will draw winners after the challenge ends. To learn more about Burnout Busters, our partners, resources, and the challenge, visit our website that is linked in the show notes.
1: And just a reminder, if you really do wanna see the picture of my family at the zoo, um, I will share it if you ask using the hashtag. I hope you guys loved this episode as much as I did. And we will see, or you will hear us next week.
2: We're going to pause there. Yeah, what was that?
1: That's at the garage door. <laughs>
2: Oh, I thought it was a garbage disposal. <laughs> um, do you think we're good? I don't hear anything.
1: I mean, until he comes back inside <laughs> any second now. I'll just mute myself and, and if you guys want to, if you want to ask a question, and that way, yeah, yeah, alls recording.
2: I can take it from here for a little bit. Sure. Okay.